hi guys. Thanks for joining us online today. Hey, guess what? Uh, God is still in control um, today, uh, just like he was before the election, just like he always will be. And so I am so thankful that, that we have a God who uh, is in control no matter what's going on. Uh, it's been kind of a crazy couple of weeks at Fur Road, to be honest with you. We've had our own little spike in COVID cases, and, and uh, we continue to to pray for those who are dealing with, with COVID or uh, quarantine, and, and uh, we're not having in-person church today, and, and so we want to get that under control. Uh, and, and we pray um, that things will be able to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Um, we'll let people know about that as far as next Sunday goes. But you're here with us today right now, and uh, I pray that God has something to say to every one of us. So uh, let's pray as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and uh, we thank you that you are on the throne, that you're in charge no matter what uh, um, governments look like and no matter what's going on in the world, and so we thank you for that. I pray that you'll speak to each of us today and that we will listen to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're looking at a, an extremely important topic today, and uh, I know I probably say something like that every week, uh, but this is an area that, that we really need to, to understand to truly grasp Christianity. And our new mini-series that we're starting today within our, our year-long Core 52 series, it's called One Thing. And it's called that because Paul had a unique ability to take a topic and to be able to just say, hey, you need to sure that you understand this one thing uh, about this topic. And, and he would go on to explain it and what it was. And, and, and that's what he does with our topic today, which is grace. And he does an amazing job of explaining what grace is, how important God's grace is. And, and several times, Paul basically says in so many words, hey, you need to understand this thing called grace because you're saved by it. Okay, It's because of grace that you can come back to God. And so our core verse today comes from the book of Ephesians, which, uh, of course, was written by Paul. It's a wonderful verse. Paul writes this, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Um, grace is God's offer to, to save us, even though we aren't worthy of being saved. When we put our faith and trust in him, we didn't do anything to earn this gift. It's a true gift from God. And I can't help but think of the word extravagant to describe God's grace. I feel like this word fits perfectly. Uh, when talking about God's grace, a lot of times we, we say amazing grace. We think of the song, amazing grace. But um, I think extravagant is another word that just fits perfectly. And so the, the title of today's message is simply extravagant grace. And so one of the dictionary definitions for the word extravagant is going beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Okay, and, and I think that is actually a pretty good description of what God's grace is as well. In offering his grace to us, God has gone way beyond what is deserved or, or even justifiable. It, it doesn't make any sense that God has reached down to us and, and offered us this gift, except that he loved us so much. Have you ever received a gift that you thought was just too much? Uh, they, they went above and beyond what they should have done, and, and, and you're almost embarrassed by that gift? That, that's kind of what God's grace is, uh, above and beyond. Um, there was a time... A couple years ago, I, I took my boat on the water. My brother and his wife came up from Texas and, and uh, named my boat Bob these days uh, after my dad. And that, that boat's getting a, a little older. It's almost 30 years old. But 
but we were out on the water, Holly and I and my brother and his wife, and, and uh, it died. It wouldn't go anywhere. So uh, we were stuck. We were trying to kind of paddle back to where the, the ramp was, but we weren't really going very fast or very far. And somebody from the shore saw us and, and had mercy on us. They brought their boat out and um, towed us back to the boat ramp. And so while we're on our way, you know, we thought we should give them some money. And, and so my brother got out of 20 and I got out of 20. And I'm thinking, man, this is pretty generous. I don't even know if we need to give this much. But so we get there and I tell the guy thank you and, and said, hey, can we give you some money to, to say thank you? And, and his words in his mouth were, no, that's okay. Um, but at the same time he was saying that, he, he took the gift as he was saying, no, that's okay. So he, he was ready and, uh, to take accept that gift that we offered him. G- God has, has offered us a gift of salvation, but, but we still have to decide, am, am I going to accept that or not? It's not an automatic thing. Just like we have to decide if we're going to ac- accept any gift that someone offers to us. It's the same way with God's grace. You can accept it or you can reject it. Uh, if we're smart, we're like the guy who helped me. He, he took that gift right away that we offered him. Um, and so the big idea, if you only have room for one thing in, to add to your brain this week, uh, I want you to know that God's grace is extravagant. Okay, it's over the top. It's higher than the highest mountain. It's deeper than the deepest sea. So, okay, you got that? You got that in your brain? God's grace is extravagant. So with that in mind, I want to go back to Ephesians 2 to the verses leading up to our core verse to, to share just how extravagant God's grace is. So Paul wrote this letter, like I said, but um, this would have been shared with several churches in the area, and so it was mostly believers who were reading this in the beginning, and, and Paul has this reminder for them. And so just try to soak in these words that Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God. Yes, in the past, you lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of the evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. In the past, all of us lived like them, trying to please our sinful selves and doing all the things our bodies and minds wanted. We should have suffered God's anger because of the way we were. We were the same as all other people, but God's mercy is great and he loved us very much. Though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God, He gave us new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. Okay, and that's the New Century Version. Um, Isn't that cool? Man, I love that stuff. Such a good explanation of of what God has done for us. And and Paul is reminding those early Christians that, you know, it wasn't that long ago uh, that they were apart from God. They were living apart from God. They were living for themselves. They were separated from God, and really they should have faced God's anger, his wrath. But because of God's extravagant offer of grace, they didn't have to. Uh, Verse 5, once again, says, Though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God, he gave us new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. New life in Christ. Okay, just stop and let that soak in for a minute. For those of us who have been uh, in the church, raised in the church for most of our lives, I think it's really easy to begin to lose the impact of, of what's going on here. We begin to forget how terrible it is to be separated from God. 
And we begin to lose the sense of urgency to help those who are still separated from God. We kind of just get into this routine and we just kind of go through the motions. Friends, listen to me. Are you listening? Here's the thing. If we truly appreciate God's grace, then we should have the desire to be a funnel of that grace to others. And that's why Paul wrote this, to remind those early Christians what a big deal this is. This is huge. You need to remember this. And so with the Ephesians passage fresh in our minds, I want to share a specific story of a lady who made a huge sacrifice in order to, f- to funnel God's grace to show her thankfulness to Jesus. Okay, this is good stuff. Let me set the stage. We're in the last week before Jesus was killed, and Jesus and his 12 disciples were at the home of someone named Simon the leper, and we aren't given a lot of information about him, but most likely he was somebody who Jesus had healed before this. So he was no longer a leper, but your name kind of sticks with you. Uh, many times in the Bible, your second name kind of described you, uh, like John the Baptist or, or John the Baptizer, uh, which would have been a, a cool thing to be known for, right? Uh, Simon the leper, not so much. Lepers were, were socially unclean and, and not to be associated with by God-fearing Jew, Jews, so to be known as Simon the leper, this was not a good thing. But Jesus was never too concerned about outward titles, was he? Jesus was always concerned about the heart. So Jesus and his disciples, they're at Simon's house. And so let's read about it in Matthew 26, verse 6 through 13. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay, so we aren't given some of the details about this story in the book of Matthew. But from the parallel account of the story in the book of John, we're told that this woman is Mary. And it was the Mary that was the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus had brought back from the dead. Okay, and so obviously she had a whole lot to be thankful for. And she would stop at nothing to show Jesus how thankful she was. Now, as you read this story, you might find it a little strange that Jesus said, hey, the the poor you're always going to have with you. It's almost like, it sounds like a selfish statement. It's like he's saying, you know, Hey, we we need to worry about them. They're always going to be there. Um, But you can be assured that that, that Jesus is not saying that. Okay, that's what happens when you pick a verse out of context and use it how you want to use it. And the verse has been used many times over the years by saying something like, oh, well, Jesus said there will always be poor, so we don't need to worry about them. And we know Jesus isn't saying that because everything else he said and did did not say that. In, In fact, in the chapter right before this, in chapter 25, when Jesus talked about the sheep and the goats and and separating those who are with God and those who aren't with God. When Jesus comes back one day, he talked about feeding the hungry and and giving them something to drink and and caring for the sick or those who need clothing. And he said, when you do these kind of things, it's like you're doing them for me. So Jesus was talking about a specific situation right then. The Savior of the world was there right then, and he wouldn't be there much longer. And God used Mary to symbolically prepare Jesus for what was about to happen. 
Mary and her family had received extravagant grace from Jesus, and she had the opportunity to return a bit of that extravagant grace uh, directly back to Jesus, and it was a beautiful thing. Uh, We can't do that directly like Mary did, but we can indirectly spread God's grace to others, extravagant grace. You see, we do good stuff. We do good works, not to earn our salvation, but because of our salvation. Okay, we serve God because we want to serve him, not because we have to. We serve him because we get to. And and we want to be funnels of this grace to others. We get to be funnels of grace. So with this story as the backdrop, I want to share some realities of what might happen when you decide to be a funnel of God's extravagant grace. When you say, okay, hey, God has given me grace. I, I want to show grace to others. And I'll say, just to start with it, it's not always easy. Okay, extravagant grace, it may be met with resistance. How did the disciples react when they saw what Mary did? They said, hey, well, what a waste. You know, she should have sold that perfume, and we could have helped so many people with that. And on the surface, that seemed to make sense. It seemed like they, they could have done a lot of good things with that money. Now, another detail that we get from the book of John is that Judas, who was the keeper of the money bag for the disciples, sometimes had alternative motives. When people gave money to the team, he would skim off a little bit for himself. And so he was missing out on some personal money here by them not selling the perfume as well. But I think the rest of the disciples legitimately thought, hey, wouldn't it be better to, to sell this perfume? But they were missing the point. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes the things that we feel God wants us to do, people are going to think that they know better, and and there will be resistance. You know, many churches have been divided over resistance to change or or resistance to moving forward. Or many parents have really struggled when their their child has been led to go on to the mission field. And you hear arguments like, well, you know, there's a lot of people right here who don't know Jesus. Why do you need to go to the other side of the world? Or maybe you feel led to help somebody. Maybe it's someone who has, has made a lot of poor choices in the past. And there may, may be, be, there may be people who try to discourage you. Are, are you sure you want to help them? You know, I don't know if they, they really deserve it. Really? Man, I don't think we want to get into what we deserve, do we? But that's what God's grace is all about for us. And, and, and what extravagant grace is all about when we try to funnel it to others. It's not about what we deserve or don't deserve. If we only help those who can help us in return, then how is that extravagant, right? You pray about it and, and uh, you try to make the best decision you can as to who God wants you to funnel his grace to. And then, then you do it. Mary felt led by God to do this special thing for Jesus. And it it didn't necessarily necessarily make sense in human terms. And and the disciples resisted her, but but God used her in a very special way to to prepare Jesus symbolically for what was about to happen. Mary did this act from the bottom of her heart. But showing extravagant grace may be met with resistance. And then kind of along those same lines, extravagant grace doesn't always make worldly sense have you ever gone to a party and you thought wow this is kind of over the top extravagant and and they must have spent a lot of money on this and a lot of time it's a wedding maybe you've been to some really fancy weddings and you know man they they spent the big bucks on this thing and and we think man that's kind of a waste of money Uh, 
the jar of perfume that Mary poured on the head of Jesus was worth a year's salary. Okay, can you imagine dumping your whole salary for the year on somebody's head? Okay, that's extravagant, right? And at first glance, it seemed to be a waste. And that's what the disciples thought. But when you think about what God did through Jesus, does it really make sense from a worldly standpoint? Okay, would you send your child to be a sacrifice for the mistakes of other people? It doesn't make sense, does it? Some states have the death penalty for crimes. And would you send your child to be killed for the murder that someone else committed? Of course not. Doesn't make sense, but, but that's what God did for us. He sent his son to pay the price for sins that he didn't commit. That's extravagant grace. That's God's love. And when you share extravagant grace with the world around you, it might not always make sense. But it's not about making sense. It's about showing God's love. Mary wasn't worried about whether it made sense to the world, and, and we shouldn't either if God is leading us to do something. And then here's another thing about extravagant grace. Extravagant grace can be an incredible example to others. I have a feeling that the disciples learned a lot from Mary. Okay, and it probably wasn't until later on after her death, the death of Jesus and resurrection, that they really began to understand, oh, that, this is what Mary was doing. And I have a feeling that they brought up Mary to a lot of others when they were telling stories. Because th these timid, these slow-to-get-it guys, they were later just huge instruments of grace in the early church. When we share God's grace with others, you never know who's watching and the difference it could make. And that's a great example of generosity to us all. Well, when you show extravagant grace, you don't do it to get noticed, but oftentimes you're setting an example to others. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing primarily to a, a young preacher named Timothy, and, and he says this to him in, in 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Showing extravagant grace is an awesome way to set an example for Christians and non-Christians because you're sharing the love of Jesus. And then extravagant grace is a natural way to show your overflowing love for God. Okay, usually when, when we fill up a glass, it's a good thing to, to stop before it overflows, right? Or sometimes you're pouring pop and you don't stop soon enough and, and it fizzes, everything goes over, um, makes a mess. You know, it just makes more sense to not overflow something. Have you ever uh, tried to put too much gas in your gas tank? And, and all of a sudden it, it comes out and goes over the side of your car. I know I've done that lots of times. Um, you think you can get in a little bit more. But when it comes to God's grace, it's actually a good thing to overflow onto others. Okay, it, it's, it's just a natural result of being totally on fire for God. Being a funnel for God's extravagant grains helps you show your overflowing love for God. And that leads us to our final thought on extravagant grace, and that is that it can change lives. It can truly change lives. I really believe that when grace is bubbling over in our lives, it ends up changing the lives of those around us in a positive way. And you guys could tell stories of people who showed you extravagant grace and, and how it changed your life. And, and I feel like I've had a team of people who have shown me grace over the years. Uh, from my parents to, to uh, my Sunday school teachers who had to deal with ornery little Danny boy who was always getting in trouble. 
or to, to youth ministers or to my campus ministers, to, to friends and, and, and family. And, and the sum total of those things changed my life. Okay, I, I was a pretty slow learner. It took me a while to truly get it, but, but I never want to forget it. And, and hopefully over the years, I've been able to show some of that grace to others as well. So here's the thing. Every single one of you can be a funnel of God's extravagant grace. Mary understood what that looked like. I think we could all use a little more Mary in our lives. She was a picture of extravagant grace. Hebrews 12.15 says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Okay, we want to make sure that we are doing our part to help others obtain the grace of God, to, to help others receive the grace of God. And, and as we think about these things, I, I think sometimes it can be helpful to, to hear human stories of grace, to, to help illustrate God's grace. And so I want to share a couple of stories of God's grace being funneled. Stories such as this one. Longing to leave her, her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove, she dreamed of a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the streets would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all, and in each place she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth, and on the back of each photo she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before the money in the pictures ran out and Maria had to return home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired, her, her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade the, these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned, and her throat tightened, and she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And she did. That mom was there to show her daughter grace. Much like the, the story of the prodigal son in the Bible, uh, much like God is there for us as well. I want to share one more story that I think it's a, a neat story of being funnels of God's grace. Some of you have uh, heard it before, uh, told it before, but it, it's worth hearing again. 
many years ago, uh, now when I was coaching my son in baseball, um, we were playing a team called the Indians, and we always had close games with the Indians every time we played them. But the Indians had a, a special player on the, their team, and his name was Skyler. And uh, Skyler had some special needs, and he, he couldn't run very well or even walk very well. Um, and his, uh, he wasn't able to hit the ball very well at all. And we were near the end of the season, and uh, Skyler's dad was one of the coaches. And he came over to me before the game and said, hey, um, I have a favor to ask you. If my son Skyler happens to hit the ball, could you guys let him get on first base? And I said, sure, we, we'd love to do that. And, and so we get during the game, and, and we're playing, and Skyler comes up to bat. And uh, um, the way they did it in the league we were in is if the, the pitcher threw four balls, then the uh, coach from the other team would come in and pitch to their own batter. And so that's what happened. Our pitcher threw four balls. And so uh, the dad, the coach, came in and was pitching to Skyler. And uh, he missed the first two um, like he normally did. But on the third strike, he hit the ball. He didn't go very far, but he took off towards first base in, in his slow Skyler way. A and uh, our pitcher came down and picked up the ball and, and uh, threw it to, to first base. But he, but he knew wh what he was supposed to do. He threw it over the head of our first baseman. A and so our first baseman went and got the ball and came back. And, and Skyler made it to first. But the, here's what happened. Skyler said, hey, I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going. So, so he rounded first and started going to second. And so you could tell our first baseman had a, a, a moment of indecision. Okay, what do we do now? Should we go ahead and get him out? And, and, and so he, he looked at the second baseman and threw it over his head out into the outfield. And so Skyler kept going to, to second base. And, and he, you'd think, okay, there you go, Skyler. You're at second base. But he didn't stop there. Skyler kept going. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's see. So our yeah, the first baseman went and got the the ball and and uh, went back to first. But Skyler didn't stop at first. He rounded first base and kept going. He he went to second. Uh, and so our first baseman had that kind of moment of indecision. Okay, what do I do now? Uh, do we get him out or do, do we keep doing this? And, and, and so he looked at the second baseman and threw it over the second baseman's head out into the outfield. And so Skyler made it to second base, and, and he didn't stop there. He said, I'm, I'm going. And so Skyler kept going to third base, and, and our second baseman had the ball, and he kind of looked and, and looked at the third baseman and thought, what do I do now? And he said, I'm, I'm doing it. And he threw it over the third baseman's head. And so he went to get the ball, and the crowd's kind of going crazy at this point, and, and Skyler doesn't stop at third base. He kept going. And our third baseman, same thing. Okay, do we actually let him score? And, and, and you could tell he's like, yes. And he threw it over our catcher's head, and Skyler came in, and he scored. He had a home run. And, and everybody was going crazy. And, and I don't think there was a dry eye in, in among the parents at the whole ball field because Skyler had scored. And we ended up losing the game 
eight, eight to seven, uh, but nobody cared because that didn't matter that night. You see, my players gave Skyler a, a gift of grace that they didn't have to give him. In fact, they did more than I had asked them to do. They went above that and said, no, we want to keep doing this. And it was a proud moment for me as a coach. God has offered us a gift of grace that he didn't have to offer us. Okay, it's, it's a gift that, that showed how deep his love is for us. It was a, a gift that he, that he formulated from, from the time that sin entered the world in, in a plan that was finalized through Jesus coming to this earth and, and dying for our sins. It's a gift that he's offered to you. It's a gift that he's offered to me. I hope that you have accepted God's offer of his extravagant grace. And I hope that you're being a funnel of that grace to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is so amazing to think about the fact that you loved us so much when you could have pushed us aside and said, you know what? I'm done with them. You said, no, I love, I love them. And this is what I'm going to do. So, Lord, I thank you personally for your grace. Lord, I pray that if there's those who are considering accepting your grace, that they would do so. And I pray that each of us can be a funnel of that grace to others. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so I want to challenge you guys this week to be funnels of God's grace and to say, how, how, how does God want to use me to funnel that grace to those around me? So, no, really, I'm, I'm, I want you to think about this, okay, guys? Okay, w- would you pray about ways that God might use you to funnel his extravagant grace to the world? I uh, also wanted to mention before we close that we, we have some uh, questions and some things that, uh, that can go along with this message. If your family wants to continue discussion, they're in the description of the sermon. Um, and so you might want to do that. Uh, maybe you want to take some time now as a family to do some worship together. Uh, I would encourage you to take the Lord's Supper and take some time to, to worship Jesus in that way as well. And so we'll just con- continue this uh, as we go uh, this morning. And so uh, I guess I just close by saying never forget that God loves you and, and have a great week.